Hi, everyone. This is your 1001 Stories Network host, John Hagedorn. And I want to thank each and every one of you listeners for the support you've given 1001 Stories from the Old West. Kevin Sykes will return in the fall with a bunch of great Old West history. But during the meantime, we'll be running episodes of the old radio show, Tales of the Texas Rangers, which features actual stories from the files of the Texas Rangers from about 1936 through the late 40s. This show did very well from 1950 to 52 on NBC Radio and was successful in transitioning to TV on CBS from 1955 to 1958. I especially enjoy the episodes where they go after him on horseback. That still happens today in rough country where they need to go after fugitives on horseback, keeping America's past alive. It's time for another episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. Hope you enjoy it. The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, The Devil's Share. It is 6.45 p.m. October 26, 1939. Frank Whalen, a dirt farmer, is sitting down to a simple evening meal when the door to the kitchen opens and his brother, Jeff Whalen, comes in. Well, howdy, Jeff. Thought you was going to spend a couple of weeks up at Big D. So I changed my mind and come back. Any law against that? Didn't say there was. Yeah, just fix and eat. I'll get you a plate. Stop playing big, brother. I won't eat. I can rustle my own grub. You can call that fat back and beans grub. What's the matter with you anyhow, Jeff? Nothing. Just leave me alone. You've been acting like this for quite a spell. Thought taking a trip would do you some good. Jeff, why'd you come back? I met Luther Riggs up in Big D. He told me you and Ma Jan was fixing to get married. Oh. So that's it. Why didn't you tell me? Because of the way you've been acting. I was going to tell you when you come back. You should have had a talk with me, Frank. Marjan used to be my girl, remember? Used to be ain't now, Jeff. Maybe you should ask me a few things about Marjan. Maybe there's a couple of things you ought to know. Anything I want to know about Marjan, she'll tell me yourself. Far as you're concerned, ain't nothing to tell. No, huh? You ought to learn a little about women, Frank. You might learn a lot if you didn't spend so many days looking at the rear end of a mule... So many nights poking your nose into that Bible, Leo. If it's hurt me any, I reckon I'll find out when judgment comes. Meantime, I ain't taking your word for it. Meantime, you ain't bringing Marjan here either. Or maybe you're forgetting it. I'm half-owner this far. you never prove it by anything you grew here. The law says I'm half-owner with or without growing anything. You want to bring a wife here, you better buy me out. You can have my share for $2,000 and good riddance. Jeff, you got yourself a deal. I'll give you 800 cash in the morning and notes for the rest. You give me 2,000 cash in the morning. I ain't got that kind of money, and you know it. Who do you think you're kidding? You had a good crop? You got that much in the bank right now? Yeah, yeah, I got it. And almost half of it belongs to old Uncle Joe for working on shares. Work you wouldn't raise a hand to do. I don't care about you or Uncle Joe. Let him wait, not me. Jeff, get this. And get it straight. Uncle Joe is going to get every nickel that's coming to him whenever and however he wants it. He's worked for it. Okay, Frank. 
I just guess you and me and my Jan gonna live here like one big happy family. Maybe my Jan like that more than you think. You... Jeff, if you wasn't my brother... I'll get you money for you. Somehow. I'll get it and you can clear out. I wouldn't have my Jan around dirt like you for a million dollars. Oh, she used to be mighty fond of dirt like me. Jeff, I... shut up, I tell you! Don't say nothing else, Jeff. Don't open your mouth. It's only remembering when we was kids together and the memory of Ma and Pa that's keeping me that's from being your... That's too bad, Because I ain't like you. Memories don't bother me at all. You ain't gonna do anything to me, Frank. And I'm gonna get what I want, and I'm gonna get it all now, including my Jan. Jeff! Put that bread knife back on the table! I took a knife to you once before, Frank. Paul stopped me that time. But Pa ain't around anymore. Give me that knife, Jeff! Oh, take it! Oh. I bet you sure wish Pa was here this time. <laughs> Jeff Whalen waited until next morning before reporting the death of his brother Frank to the local sheriff. The sheriff asked for the assistance of a Texas ranger. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned to the case. Well, Jace, I went all over the place earlier this morning when I was called here, and now you've been all over it. If you see anything, I must have missed it. Mm, doesn't seem to be much to see except the body. You want to talk to the brother now? He's still waiting in the parlor. Yeah, I know. I'll see him in a minute. Look at the table where Frank Whalen was eating. I was cutting his bread from this whole loaf. Crumbs show that. And it was a sharp, clean cut. This eating knife's the only one on the table, though. That's not sharp enough to slice the bread that way. He might have cut the bread, then put the knife away. That's mm, possible. But it doesn't figure. No, no, it doesn't. Fella sits down to his food, he don't put nothing away until he's through. And Whalen wasn't through. From the looks of it, he just started to eat. What you looking in the drawers for? Murder weapon, maybe. Something like this bread knife? Could be, I guess, but that knife's clean. Yeah, too clean. Look at the blade and the handle. Well, what about them? The other knives in this drawer don't shine like this one. This one's got special treatment. Hey, I see what you're driving at. You figured it was rubbed with a scouring pad to remove blood, maybe, huh? That's something we'll have to find out, but it's worth a bet. It's been cleaned up too well to help us any, though. Yeah, we might as well put it back in the drawer. Seems like that knife's the only thing we got to go on, Jace. And we're not even sure of that. I know. Yeah, we better have a talk with Whalen's brother right now. Sure, but Jeff won't be able to help much. Why not? He just got back from Dallas early this morning. Called me as soon as he found the body. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, we might as well see him anyhow. Marjan Galt's in the parlor with him, Jace. Oh, who's she? And Marjan and Frank Whalen was fixing to get married. Folks tried to keep her away when the news got out, but... She came anyhow. Yeah, it's just as well. She might know something. She's broke up pretty bad. Parlor's here. Sliding door, I'll open it. Jeff, the ranger would like to talk to you and Marjan now. When can I see Frank? I want to see him now. I think it would be better if you didn't, ma'am. For your own good, Marjan. Last night. Only last night I was home at... I was sewing pillowcases. No, come on, please, Marjorie. Look, do you have to talk to her now? I can tell you anything you want to know. All right. But I think you'd better come into the next room then. Okay. Ma'am, why don't you just stretch out on that sofa and rest? All right, Jeff. When did you find your brother's body? Well, like I told the sheriff, by 5 o'clock this morning when I come home. He was killed last night around dinner time. Where were you then? On the road, I reckon. I've been up to Big D for the last five, six days. You drive back? Didn't have nothing to drive back in. I hitch rides. Come back, same way I went. And got here at 5 a.m.? When did you leave Dallas? Well, yesterday afternoon, I guess, about 2 o'clock. Why? Why are you asking me this? You're supposed to be finding out who killed Frank. Now, don't get steaming, Jeff. Ranger's got a reason for asking. You didn't touch anything in the house when you got in? Ranger, first thing I saw was my brother laying down on the kitchen floor. Then I hot back to the highway and called the sheriff. Waited right there till he come pick me up. 
Okay. Your brother been having trouble with anybody? You know of any reason why anybody might want to kill him? Well, no. Nothing I can think of. Except... Go ahead, Jeff. Well, it just something come to my mind, Sheriff, but... No. Couldn't be him. Couldn't be who? Come on, Jeff. Your brother's laying dead in there. We gotta know every little thing, no matter how small. Well, all right. Just before I left, Frank did have a little argument with Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe? Who's he? Old sharecropper. Been working a good piece of this farm for Frank. What was the argument between him and Frank? Well, old Joe claimed that Frank owed him some money from the crop. Frank said it didn't. It's both pretty hot about it. That don't sound like your brother Frank. Or Uncle Joe. I know it don't. It was probably just a misunderstanding. They straighten out. That's why I told you it wasn't worth mentioning. When it comes to murder, anything is worth mentioning. And this sounds like it might be plenty important. Sheriff, we better ask Uncle Joe to account for his movements last night. I haven't seen him around, but his granddaughter, Belle, might be able to tell us something. She's been standing around outside the house ever since we got here. Look, I'd like to go back to Ma, John. She needs somebody with her. All right, go ahead. And tell Belle to come in here, will you? All right. I'll send her right in. Oh, uh, just a second, Jeff. Yeah? You must be pretty tired. You have much trouble catching rides last night? Well, I got one long ride in a truck. You know who owned the truck or anything about the driver? Well, no. No, I didn't talk to the driver much. I slept most of the time. I think it was out of state truck. Well, truckers usually don't like sleeping rider beside them on a night hall. Well, I, uh, th- this fellow let me sleep on a shelf up in the back of the cab. Oh, I see. All right, send Bell in. Okay. You've been asking him a lot of funny questions. Yeah, and he's been giving me a lot of funny answers. What do you mean, Jace? That stuff about sleeping on the shelf in a truck cab. He never slept in that suit he's wearing. It's too well-pressed. So he changed clothes when he got home this morning. He said he ran to call you the minute he saw his brother. You want to see me, Mr. Ranger? Yes, Belle. Come in. Belle, you and your grandfather, Uncle Joe, you live on this farm? That little house down there near the meadow. You can see it. Just the two of you? Yes, sir. Where was your grandfather last night? He was home, sir. He don't never go no place. Was he home all night? Where was he at dinner time? Home, sir, honest. Only time he left was for a few minutes to bring... He didn't leave the house at all. Hmm? Not at no time. He didn't leave the house at all. Belle, you're lying. No, Sheriff, no, I'm not. Look, Belle, you started to say something, then you backed away no, from No, sir, me. I didn't. Belle, if you want to help us and your grandfather, you better talk up. I told you everything. Honest, I did. With all this going on, why isn't your grandpa around? Why'd he run off? He didn't run off. He went to the church to pray for Mr. Frank. He loved Mr. Frank. He would never hurt him. Mr. Frank was good to us. Where's their church, Sheriff? Left fork of the road, this side of town, but he probably ran off someplace. You can find out about that later if he isn't at the church. Let's go. Uncle Joe was at his church, all right. We saw him kneeling in the dim light when we opened the door. Sheriff beckoned to him and he came out into the sunlight. Tears were streaming down his face. I was just saying the press, Mr. Frank, Sheriff. I didn't know you'd be needing me for anything, sir. Where were you at dinner time last night, Uncle Joe? Why are you asking me that, Mr. Sheriff? Just answer the question, Uncle Joe. You you can't be figuring that I killed Mr. Frank, is you? We just want to know where you were. I never hurt Mr. Frank. He's the best man I ever knew. Why, he, he's even helping me so as I could buy my own strip of land and, and my own mule. Uncle Joe, I want an answer. And tell the truth. Bell already tried to lie for you. Begging your pardon, Mr. Sheriff, but don't nobody never have to lie for me, sir. The truth ain't never hurt me. I ain't never hurt the truth. Well, you'd better tell it. Just a minute, Sheriff. Uncle Joe, did you leave your house at supper time yesterday? Yes, sir, Mr. Ranger. I did. Where'd you go? To Mr. Frank's house, sir, like, like I did every evening, to bring him some of Bell's fresh bread for his supper. Uncle Joe, I better tell you right now that anything you say from here on can be used against you. Used against me for what, sir? Ain't nothing I'm ashamed to tell. How long did you stay there? 
Mr. Frank was cooking him some food. I just stayed long enough to leave the bread and to fix up with him to meet him Friday at the bank so he could give me the money. What money? What was mine from working on shares. Are you saying Frank Whalen was holding money of yours? You had an argument about whether or not he owed you that money, didn't you? Mr. Frank and me ain't never had no argument, sir. He was my good friend. Hey, Jace, here comes one of my deputies, Ben Sloan. I thought he and the other boys were beating around the farm. They might have found something. Hmm. Howdy, Ben. Howdy, Sheriff. What's that you got wrapped in that newspaper? This. What? How bloody nice. Where'd you get it? Reckon old Uncle Joe here could tell you as well as I can. We found it in the weeds. Out behind his shack on Whalen's farm. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, The Devil's Share, an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. Uncle Joe stared at the blood-stained knife the deputy had found behind his house. The stare was a look of recognition. You ever seen this knife before, Uncle Joe? Come on, answer me. You know we've seen it before, Sheriff. can tell just by looking at him. How about it, Uncle Joe? Yes, sir, Mr. Ranger. It's mine. It's just an old whittling knife. But I never used that or nothing else on Mr. Frank. Uncle Joe, you're under arrest for the murder of Frank Whalen. Mr. Sheriff, I'm telling you here, outside of God's own house, I never done it. Think maybe you better deputize a few more men, Sheriff. We might need them. Why? What for? People around here thought mighty high of Frank Whalen, Jason. They aren't going to cotton to the idea of him being killed by somebody he took in and helped. And you can't blame him for that. I can blame anybody for anything that doesn't follow the law. You're not going to have any problem with Uncle Joe, Sheriff. I'm going to take him off your hands. Now, hold on, Jace. He's my prisoner, and I'll guarantee his safety. I know you'd protect him. That isn't why I'm taking him. I'll give you a receipt for him and bring him back here later. Where are you taking him? I'm going to radio for Unit 88, the Ranger plane, to pick us up and fly us to Austin. And you'd better hand over that knife, Ben. That goes with me. I put through my call to Camp Mabry, Austin, and the ranger plane picked us up at the nearest airfield. Uncle Joe tightened up as we took off, and his lips moved like he was praying. After that, he relaxed. Where are you taking me to, sir? Ranger camp and lab at Austin, Uncle Joe. You know what a lie detector is? No, sir. Well, it's a kind of a machine. It's called a polygraph. It can tell whether a man is lying or telling the truth. Now, whether or not you take the test is up to you. We can't force you. Look, I'm colored folks, sir. Would it work right on me? Yeah. It'll work all right, Uncle Joe. If you say it's all right, Mr. Ranger, then I'll do it. I trust you, sir. Use good folks. Like Mr. Frank was. We landed at Camp Mabry. Dropped the bloodstained knife at the lab and then took Uncle Joe upstairs to the polygraph room. He wavered a little when we seated him in the chair and fixed the bands to measure his blood pressure, pulse, and respiration. Sir, this chair. This ain't an electric chair, is it? Yeah, don't worry. It won't hurt you, Uncle Joe. We're ready to go, Jace. Okay. I'll be waiting in the next office. Now, no matter what I ask you, Uncle Joe, I want you to answer yes or no. That's all, understand? Yes, sir. Is your name Uncle Joe? Yes, sir. Is Belle your granddaughter? Yes, sir. Do you go to church? Yes, sir. I waited in the next office, knowing what was happening technician would go through the list of questions, the simple, harmless questions that would register truthful reaction on the graph. And then he'd start to hit the questions that mattered, the questions about Frank Whalen. Yes, sir. Did you have an argument with him about money? No, sir. Did you use a knife on him? No, sir. Did you kill Frank Whalen? No, sir. Was the knife with the blood on it yours? 
Yes, sir. Do you know how the blood got on it? No, sir. Is that the truth, so help you God? Yes, sir. That's all, I guess. Now, you just stay put, Uncle Joe. I'll take those things off you in a minute. Yes. We're all finished, Chase. Good. What was the reaction? Looks like he's telling the truth, Chase, all the way down the line. Even about not having an argument with Frank Whalen over money? According to the graph, no argument. He wasn't lying. Good, because that means somebody else was lying. I'm going to take him back to... Just a second, Chase. Kenny speaking. Yeah. I'll tell him. He'll be right down. That was the lab on that knife you brought in. Yeah, they typed the blood? It isn't human blood, Jace. It's chicken blood. Unit 88 flew us back to the airfield where I'd left my car and horse trailer. The sheriff had been notified that we were returning and he met us at the jail with a couple of deputies. At my request, Uncle Joe agreed to spend the night in a cell for safekeeping, and I filled the sheriff in on what I'd found out at Austin. Chicken blood. I don't get it, Jace. Why didn't Uncle Joe say he'd use that knife to kill a hen? Because he didn't. That knife was planted where it was found, and whoever planted it didn't expect the investigation to go any further. Uncle Joe kept the knife in the shed behind his house. Killer got it during the night after the murder, stuck a hen with it, and tossed it in the weeds. Have to be somebody who knew the place pretty well to find that knife and do the plan. It was somebody who knew the place. Frank's brother, Jeff? Frank's brother, Jeff. What do you know about him? Has he ever been in any trouble? Not around here. We better check and find out where he stayed in Dallas and who saw him while he was there. We don't know for sure he was there. Oh, he was there all right. How do you know? Because Luther Riggs saw him. Luther just drove back from Dallas this morning. I met him about an hour ago, and he told me he'd seen Jeff there. How long was Riggs up in Dallas? Just overnight. Quick business trip. Why? And didn't it seem kind of funny that Jeff hitchhiked back here in such a hurry when he could have stayed over until this morning and gotten a sure ride with somebody he knew? <laughs> didn't think of that. Where does Riggs live? Farm, four mile out. Let's drive out there. I want to see him. Come out to give me a hand with my milk? <laughs> no, thanks. Let go of that cow for a minute, Luther. I want you to meet Ranger Pearson. Uh, well, sure thing. Howdy. Howdy. The sheriff tells me you met Jeff Whalen up in Dallas yesterday. Yeah, that's right. When? I reckon it was just about 9 o'clock a.m. I'd been driving most of the night to get there. Stopped for a red light, and there was Jeff just fixing across the street. You talked to him at all? Sure. Told him to hop in, and I'd take him wherever he was going. He said he was just drifting around, so we went and had some breakfast together. Did he tell you he was heading back for home? Not right off, he didn't. Sounded first like he was planning to spend quite a while in Big D. Didn't say nothing about coming home until, well, uh, until after I told him that Marjan's folks had told me that Marjan and Frank was getting ready to set the date. You mean he didn't know his brother was going to get married? Didn't seem to. Hmm. Matter of fact, now that you mention it, he looked right upset when I brought it up. Maybe it was because of Frank not telling him. Or maybe it was because... Maybe it was what? Go ahead. I think I can answer that one, Jason. Mm-hmm. Marjan and Jeff used to walk out together about a year ago. Then Marjan sort of broke off with him. Took up with Frank later. That's right, Ranger. But Jeff never looked like it bothered him none. The way a man looks doesn't have anything to do with what goes on inside of him. Thanks for your help, Riggs. Come on, Sheriff. You're welcome. Yeah, looks like we dug up a motive, Jace. Yeah, but we need evidence to go with it. Jeff left Dallas a lot earlier than he told us he did. Not much chance of digging up anybody who gave him a lift, I guess. I'd say no chance at all. There's something else we can look for, though. What's that? Remember my saying that his clothes didn't look like he'd slept in them or driven a long way in them? Yeah, I do. The only reason he'd have changed clothes would be because the things he'd been wearing might have gotten blood on him. I'm not saying you're wrong, Jace, but we combed that house. There wasn't nothing there. No. They'll be on the farm someplace. What makes you think so? Jeff couldn't risk being seen around any place last night. Any move he'd make would have to be on foot. He had no other way. So it's a good bet he stuck close by the farm until he called you this morning. I got my horse in the trailer. 
Let me pick up one for you and take another look around. Jace, we've been out here half the night. I don't think we're going to find anything. Maybe not. Come on back to my place and let's hit the sack. When we wake up, we can start out fresh. I don't want to wait too long. If we come here by daylight, Jeff will see us looking. Well, I'm beat. Can't we just go into the trees over yonder and rest a while? Yeah, I guess so. It'll be dawn in about two hours. We can move faster then with a little light. Good. Come on, boy, over to the trees. We'll all take a breather. Come on, Sharky. We moved into the trees, dismounted, and hobbled the horses. The sheriff dozed off quickly, and then I began to nod. But an hour later, I came out of it. There was a bright glow across the fields, beyond some corn stalks. And it wasn't the morning sun. I put my hand over the sheriff's mouth and shook him. Hey, look over there. Looks like a fire. Yeah, just beyond the corn. Come on. Quick and quiet. What do you think it is? Jeff Whalen, burning those clothes we've been looking for. We ran for the cornfield, and when we got into it, the light rustle of the morning wind and the stalks covered our approach. Came to the edge of the field and saw him, Jeff Whalen, dumping kerosene on a pile of smoldering cloth. Look, Jason. Those boys in that hole. An old well covered over. He dumped the clothes in there last night. Now he's come back to burn them. Must have been some water in the well. They're smoldering. They won't burn right. They will if he keeps pouring kerosene on them long enough. Let's get him. All right, Jeff. That's enough. Drop that can. Drop it, I said. Well, sure. Sure, I'll drop it. What, Jason? He threw the can onto the fire, and a sheet of flame leaped up between us like a blinding flare. I dove across it, trying to clear my eyes. Look out, Case. He's got a knife. Uh, I was on him before I saw him. The blade flashed. I dug for my gun, but I couldn't bring it up in time. The knife slashed into my shoulder and went to the ground. He landed on top of me, but as he raised his hand to strike, I got my gun free with my left hand and slapped the barrel against the side of his head. You all right, Case? Yeah. I guess my... Your shirt will need a little stitching, though. Your shoulder will need a little stitching, too. Couldn't risk a shot. You were too close. Yeah, come on. Got to stamp that fire out before all the evidence is burned. Well, that's only kerosene on the ground burning. I kicked what we need out of the fire. Plenty left for your lab to work on. Uh, good thinking, Sheriff. Oh. Hey. Coming, too, Jace. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Come out of it. Come on. What did you jump me for? Uh... I was only burning some old thing. Yeah, we know. The old things you happen to be wearing when you killed your brother. You were right about that bread knife, Jason. Look, here's what he used on you. Yeah, got nervous about that, too, didn't you, Jeff? Decided to get rid of everything and let old Uncle Joe ride for you. Oh, look, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah? I talk kind of a foreign language. But maybe the grand jury will understand me when they indict you for murdering your brother. Come on. Get on your feet. Move. Jeff Whalen was tried and convicted for the brutal knife murder of his brother, Frank. On August 2nd, 1940, at Huntsville Penitentiary, he died in the electric chair. This is Joel McRae wishing you all a very, very happy new year. Good night, folks. See you next week. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production Saddle Trend. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Tom McKee, Parley Bear, Peggy Weber, Roy Glenn, Wilms Herbert, and Rye Billsbury. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking.
NBC wishes you a season of good cheer, a brighter new tomorrow and a happier new year. Stay tuned for the $64 question. Tomorrow, remember the Cotton Bowl game on NBC. The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, Deadhead Freight. Shortly before midnight, August 27, 1938, at the Santa Fe Freight Yards in Lubbock, Texas. A deadhead freight hauling empties back to the West Coast from Galveston has just pulled into the yard. The brakeman and a railroad detective are making a routine check of the cars for free-riding hobos. If I was a yard dick, I'd be snoozing in the roundhouse. You ain't found a free-rider in months. Yes, so what? I get paid to check and I check. Oh, you know, bows on the freights always hop off before we pull into the yards. You ever think one of them might fall asleep in the car and not have anybody to wake him up? Well, could be. Yeah, flashy light missing. Okay. Hey, see? Nobody. Mm. Now, the car up ahead is the last of the boxcars. I walked the flats and gondolas while we was rolling, so I know that they're clear. Hey, hey, why's the door rolled shut on this one? Well, I don't know now. It shouldn't be. Now let's get her open. And throw your light around. Yeah. Nobody riding, huh? <laughs> Come on. All right, Bo. On your feet. And throw that light right on him. Yeah. Well, no wonder it didn't move just an old duffel bag. Yeah. Uh, what's a duffel bag doing on a deadhead freight? Ain't there something in it, huh? Hey, hey, come here. Feel this. Right. Feels like a body. Hey, you got a knife on you? Yeah, here. It's a good thing we didn't pass this car. Top of the bag sewed up tight. I have to cut right through the side. What? It's a young woman. Yeah. Stabbed to death. And throw that light around the car. Well, what are you looking for? There's no blood any place. She wasn't killed on the train. Somebody must have loaded the body on to get rid of it. Yeah, so the murder can't be pinned down to any definite area. Hey, where'd you stop last, before you pulled in here? Poseidon, west of Sweetwater? The body must have been put on someplace between there and Galveston, then. We better call the police. Eh? They can notify the Texas Rangers. After a brief but penetrating study of the situation, Ranger Captain Stinson had the body removed to a Lubbock funeral parlor. He then requested Texas Ranger Jace Pearson to take over the case. Well, there it is, Jace. Pretty brutal job of stabbing. You figure it happened a good piece from here, huh? Couple of reasons for that. Here's a map. Shows the route the freight train took. Spot circled in red shows where it made stops. And at what time. I see. No stops after it left the siding outside Sweetwater, huh? Right. And most of the stops were made much further east. Hmm. Well, according to the time of these stops, body must have been loaded on the train between Presby here and Turner City here. Well, how do you arrive at that? Train made all its night stops between these points. Isn't likely the killer loaded the body on by daylight. 
Too much chance of being spotted by the train crew. Well, that's good reasoning, Jace. You may be right. You said the body was sewed up in a duffel bag. Yeah. You better look at it before I send it on to the lab. I have the undertaker lock it in this cabinet and give me the key. Yeah, here it is. Regular opening at the top of the bag is sewed up tight. The draw cord is missing. See? Uh-huh. Good thing the man who found the body cut into the bag instead of ripping out those new stitches. Yeah. I see what you mean. Kind of funny stitching. It may have been made by somebody with a special trade where that kind of stitching's used. Lab gets a look at it. May be able to tell us what trade. Well, I hope so. The bag itself won't help much, I'm afraid. Uh, probably picked up in war surplus. Could belong to anybody. Hey, look at this. The bottom of the bag. It's kind of soiled. Whoever carted it around with a body in it must have set it on the ground to rest. He sure did. On reddish brown earth. Blood seepage made some of it stick. Let's have a look at that train map again. I think that earth stain kind of narrows down our search, Captain. Oh? How come? I know the country that train passed at night. I've been over it plenty. Only place I've seen earth that color is right around this area in a few stream beds. Cotton Belt runs parallel to the railroad for about 40 miles through there. Well, I've seen all I want to see, unless you have something else. Nope. Let's go. I'll get this bag off to Austin. Body going to be held here for identification? Yeah. If she isn't identified, we'll see if we can run down something by her clothes. Any laundry marks or anything on them? Afraid not, Jace. Homemade and home laundered. No dental work to help us either. And her fingerprints aren't on the file. Might have a man check on the shoes she was wearing. They weren't homemade. Yeah, we'll try it. You got any ideas about what you're going to do? If it's all right with you, I'd like to take a crack at that cotton belt area. Tow charcoal down in the horse trailer and then ride parallel to the railroad tracks and see what I can find. Well, that's a lot of territory. How about Steve Clark riding with you? Good deal. We get anything from the lab, I'll let you know. I'll radio Clark and assign him. Then you can pick him up on the way. Good luck, Jace. Thanks, Captain. You'll hear from me. Clark. We drove down to the beginning of the area I wanted to check, left the car, and used our horses for the long ride along the rail bed. By noon of the next day, we'd covered 15 miles. Horses are getting tired, Jase. I know. But there's a siding a little ways ahead. Freight stopped there. Yeah. Look, another culvert coming up. Yeah. Uh, bank's pretty steep. Watch your horse. All right. Careful, boy. Easy, charcoal. Careful. Easy, Deep climb out of here, Jace. Maybe if we ride... Hey, what are you looking at? Oh, the ground, huh? Yeah. Same reddish-brown color we've been checking for. Well, don't see anything else, though. Want to ride through it a ways? Yeah. Come on, Charcoal. Oh, boy. I don't want to be a killjoy, Jace, but we've done this in a dozen creek beds. Yeah, but none of the others were as close to a train stop. Siding's only about 50 yards further up the... Ooh, ooh, Charcoal. Oh, boy. Ooh. Find something, Jace? Yeah. Come here. Now, what is it? Yeah, marks in the sand. Trace of a couple of footprints, not enough to make a cast, but look at this other mark. A round impression. Yeah. What made it? Might have been somebody setting that duffel bag down. Yeah? Well, that would account for the dirt you found on the bag. We'll find out. Get a glass jar from your saddle pack. Okay. You? Gonna cut a core around that mark? Yeah. Lab contested for blood trace. Earth this color, we can't tell anything by sight. Well, here's the jar. Thanks. A few empty cans around here, Jace. Those marks might have been made by a hobo. I don't think so. Bindle stiffs travel light. They don't carry duffel bags. What's the nearest town to here? Uh, Bullville, about a mile further on. Well, let's get there. We can phone for a highway patrol car, and they can drive you back and pick up our car. All right. You going to check around Bullville? With a fine-tooth comb. The cotton crop around Bullville was good. Too good. Migratory pickers were jamming the town. I had photos of the dead girl and tried to find somebody who might have seen her. No, no, Ranger. Never saw her around the gin here. Town's full up, though. It's possible one of the pickers saw her someplace. You know anybody who comes in contact with a lot of the pickers? No, no. Afraid you have to tackle them crew by crew. That's what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Must be a couple of thousand migratories around. You mind if I ask your man at the weighing platform to check with the haulers when they bring cotton in for ginning? No, it's all right with me. Thanks. 
Somebody who gets to see a lot of the pickers? Who? The Mexican woman. Name's old Rosie. Drives a junky old truck around peddling soda pop in the fields. You know where I can locate her? Yeah, haulers give you lift out to the fields. And somebody will steer you out to her. <laughs> Everybody knows old Rosie. Somebody kill that poor girl, huh? That's right, Rosie. You ever see her? You find who killer, you're going to put him in a jail? That's my job. How about it? You ever seen her around here? She, one time. Where? At the bus station in the town. She was with a man. You know who the man was? No, senor. And why'd you hesitate? Is that the truth? Why should I tell a lie, senor? I don't know who the man was. But he She described a man, a vague, stumbling description that might fit anybody. And while she described him, I had a feeling she was lying. A feeling that was strengthened by a faint odor of whiskey coming from the truck. Whatever business Rosie was in, it wasn't limited to the sale of soft drinks. I pretended to swallow her story, then I got a lift back to town where Steve Clark was waiting with our car. Better hop in, Jase. Just had a call from Austin. And they checked the earth sample we sent in in a jar. Yeah, blood trace, all right. Same type as the victims. They got a line on a few other things, too. The shoes on the dead girl have been traced through the manufacturer to a store in Sheffield. Yeah, I wrote down the name of the store and the address. Better get over there and see if we can establish identity. Yeah, shoes will be waiting at the Sheffield airport. Isn't likely that a shoe clerk is going to remember who he sold them to, though. I saw the shoes. They've been repaired recently. Whoever fixed them might remember. Well, that's a chance. Any information on that duffel bag? Uh, yeah, lab ties it in with a seaman. How? Oh. Well, stitches used to sew up the bag are the kind seaman used to mend a torn sail. Chase, hmm. you look like that throws you. It does, a little. I was beginning to have a sneaking suspicion about an old Mexican woman. But she's no seaman. <laughs> well, what made you suspect her? She said she saw the dead girl with a man. But she gave me kind of a phony description. Not only that, but she's supposed to be selling soft drinks to the field hands from an old truck. It reeked of liquor. Oh, bootlegging, huh? Hey, that could mean something. What? Well, a report from Austin mentioned liquor stains on that duffel bag. Naturally, they just figured that a bottle had been broken in the bag at one time or another, but... Yeah, but it could be something else, too. Yeah? That bag might have been used for hauling moonshine. Stop the car. Hey, Jace, what's the matter? Slide out. I'm going to Sheffield alone. You stay here. Okay, Jace. What do you want me to work on? Tail old Rosie, the Mexican woman, while I'm gone. Check on any special contacts she makes. Whoever she sees, find out who they are. See if you can run down any who've worked as seamen. I burned up the road to Sheffield. The clerk who'd sold the shoes couldn't help, but I got the information I was after in a repair shop. My show, show, I fix it is, all right? Look, here's who I sold the broken strap, you see? Uh, I remember because of something else, too. I never get a pay for the job. Whose shoes are they? Mrs. Watson. She's a lady two blocks up at Brownwood House. Mrs. Watson, huh? Is her husband around? Oh, no, no, no. It's a go away month ago. That's why she got no money for pay for the shoes. I know you bother her. She lived with her mother and her little baby. She's a one-year-old. Any idea where her husband went? Oh, no. Sometimes she says to go away for work or someplace with the cotton. Sometimes to Galveston to work for the boats. Oh, he's been a sailor, huh? Sailor, everything. Whatever he is, he's no send the money. Last week, she come in. She says she's going to meet him and she's going to pay me when she's come back. But she's not come back. Hey, just a minute. Why are you asking me all these things, eh? And how come you got it to show Because Mrs. Watson doesn't need him anymore. She's dead. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, Deadhead Freight, an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. wasn't the kind of news you enjoy breaking to a dead girl's mother. And the girl's baby crying in the next room didn't help it any. You see, they'd split up about a month ago. 
And then last week, her husband wrote to her from Bowville. He said he was sorry and he wanted my daughter Helen to come to me. I thought she was there with him. Looks like she was for a while. Oh, he promised Helen everything in a letter. Said he had a lot of money for her and their baby. He was never any good. And now the baby's left to me and I'm just too old. I'm sorry, ma'am. Can you give me your son-in-law's full name and his description? But Watson is his name. They call him Bud. Herbert Bud Watson. About how tall would you say he was? Yeah, you better pull yourself together, ma'am. Somebody's at the door. I'll call out the wind and send him away. I don't want to see anybody. Now. What is it, ma'am? What's the matter? Oh, somebody! Open the door! It's him. My son-in-law, Bud. All right, ma'am, open the door and let him in. Go ahead. Well, what took you so long? Where's Helen? You know where she is. What did you do to her? What did you do to my girl? Are you crazy? What's the matter? Let him go, ma'am, and stand back. What? Ranger, what? Get your hands up and turn around. You killed her. And you got the gall to come here with your own baby crying. Ranger, what is this? Kill who? (laughs) Helen. Where's Helen? Where is she? Don't you know, Watson? Or did you think she'd never be identified? Helen's been murdered? Oh, no. No! You did it! You did it! No, no, Mom, no. I I gave her money. Told her to come back home and I'd meet her here today. (laughs) Who's going to take the kid and make a fresh start? How much money did you give your wife? (laughs) Thousand dollars. That's a lot. Where'd you get it? Come on. Uh, I was bootlegging to the pickers. How long you been getting away with that? Started it last season. Did old Rosie sell any of this stuff for you? How did you know about that? I didn't for sure until now. Come on. We're going back to your place of business in Bowlville. Hi, Jace. Steve. I got your message to meet you here. Rosie's over there. Want to get her off the truck? Yeah, she can talk from there. Come on. You too, Watson. Okay. Bud Watson, murdered girl's husband. Been bootlegging here. Rosie's been moving some of the stuff for him. Oh? Why you keep me from my work, senor? Your work isn't as legal as it could be, Rosie, so sit tight. Uh, yeah, you ever seen this man before? You know she's seen me before. They didn't ask you. How about it, Rosie? She... All right, Rosie. Now, is he the same man you saw at the bus depot with a girl whose picture I showed you? See, he's the man. At the bus depot? But that ain't so. I was never with Helen at the bus depot. You didn't meet her when she came down here? No, I tell you. I didn't know what bus she was coming in on. Or even if she would come after she got my letter. First I saw her, she turned up here at the shack. How about when she left to go home? Uh, She only stayed two, three hours, all told. Let her go back to the bus depot alone because, well, it was getting dark. Near time for the pickers to be coming there to buy drinks. You hear that, Rosie? That means one of you is lying. Rosie, tell the truth, senor. You don't always tell the truth, Rosie. The first time I asked you about the man you saw, you said he was a stranger. A man you'd never seen before. I forget, senor. I see a lot of people every day in the fields. Yeah, you trying to kid me? You've been selling liquor for this man. You couldn't mistake him for a stranger. Why, I do, senor. I make mistake. You want help, I give you help. Rosie tell you all she knows, that's all. Now it was obvious that Rosie was lying, just as I'd suspected her of lying the first time. There had to be a reason for it. We took Bud Watson into Bowlville jail and then went back to search his shack. I can't figure something, Jace. Why won't Watson admit it if he was at the bus station with his wife? That wouldn't hurt him. No, it wouldn't. That's why I think he's telling the truth. Then Rosie must be covering up for something. Covering up for somebody's a better guess. She might have done it herself. No, I don't think so. She's too old to cart a body across the country to the railroad. Then you figure she really did see Mrs. Watson at the bus depot with a man, huh? Yeah. The man who killed her to get the $1,000 Bud Watson had given her. Well, then what's Rosie's angle and lying to us? Well, that's an easy one, Steve. Shakedown. Hey, Jace, you're right. Couldn't be anything else. 
Why, it'd be worth the cut for her to forget seeing the man and say it was Watson instead. Only one thing wrong with it. What? Well, I watched her while you were gone. She didn't make any suspicious contacts, nothing that could have been a payoff. She might have gotten her payoff right after I showed her the Watson girl's picture and told her she'd been murdered. That was before you started a tailor. Yeah, I didn't think of that. She had time. Well, we comb this shack, Jace. Nothing here. What do we do now? Go back to Taylor and Rosie again. If she squeezed hush money out of the man once, she's liable to try it again. They all do. We'll start by watching her house when she comes in from the fields tonight. We staked out near Rosie's adobe hut, but it got dark and she didn't come in from the fields. I left Steve on watch and went out to look for her, keeping an eye out for her old truck. I found it about five miles out, surrounded by a group of men carrying torches. Hey, what's going on here? Uh, oh, Ranger! Uh, oh, Rosie! You better come! Yeah, what happened? Uh, we was walking into town. We saw the truck here by the side of the road, thought maybe it broke down, so we started to call for old Rosie. Then one of the boys spotted the blood on the ground. What blood? I'll show you over here. Must be old Rosie's, I reckon, because we found her over here in the cotton row. She's dead, Ranger. Somebody cut her throat from ear to ear. Old Rosie had tried to shake down a killer once too often with the usual payoff. I sent a rushed call to Steve Clark to tow his horse out and join me. We followed the trail which led to a deserted picker shack way off in a field that looked like it hadn't been cultivated for years. The shack had been occupied, though, recently occupied. But whoever had been there was gone. There's a lamp there, Steve. Light it. Yeah. It's clean as a whistle, Jake. Yeah, it's too clean. That floor's been scrubbed mighty hard for a shack like this. It sure has. Especially for a place nobody's living in. Must have been cleaning up blood. Yeah. And there are two other things. What's that? Whoever was hiding here was mighty handy with a knife. Look at the inside of the door, circle drawn on the wood. Wood chipped where somebody practiced throwing a knife at it. Yeah, good aim. All the marks are right smack inside the circle. Now, what else? Take a look at the lamp you just lit. The cord it's hanging by. It's just an ordinary hunk of rope. Except for the knot holding the lamp, a running bowline. So the light could be raised or lowered toward the table. A running bowline is a seaman's knot. Yeah, and that cord is just about big enough to be the draw cord from a duffel bag. Our seaman was here, all right. Well, it couldn't have been Watson, Jace. He was safe in jail when Rosie was killed. Yeah. Whoever Rosie saw with Mrs. Watson at the bus depot must have met the girl after she left Watson, after she had the money. Yeah? Married woman on her way home to her baby isn't liable to leave a bus depot with a stranger, is she? Chances are it was somebody she knew. Well, Watson's been a sailor. Think it might have been an old shipmate of his? Let's go see if he remembers one who was handy with a knife. say somebody killed old Rosie? Yeah. The same man who killed your wife. Now think and think hard. Yeah. The killer was a seaman. We got reason to think it could be an old shipmate of yours who knew your wife. Oh, but Helen knew shipmates of mine all along the Gulf. I introduced her to lots of them. The one we want had a habit of throwing a knife. Hey, he drew targets on a door. Never missed. <sighs> Matt Corbett. It was Matt Corbett! How do you know? Any reason for him to be around here? Yeah. He was my partner last year. Bootlegging here. Business got bad and he left. I wrote to him months ago asking him to come back for this picking, but he never answered me. Did Rosie know him? Sure she did. From last year. That's it, Clark. Rosie'd seen Corbett with Mrs. Watson. That's why he couldn't run with the money after he'd killed her. He had to wait to see if the body was found and identified. And when we moved in and she knew about the murder, she really had him pinned down. And he right. used to be my best friend. A sneak. Well, never mind that now. Where would he run to? I don't know. He was always Roman, like me. Hey, you wrote to him someplace, you said. You must have an address. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, General Delivery at Port O'Connor. There's an old bait shack there. He lived in it whenever he had enough money to stop moving for a while. He's got enough now. What he got from your wife. Come on, Clark. Let's get him. <laughs> Headed for Port O'Connor. Made it by morning and found the abandoned bait shack. 
nobody inside, Jays, can see through the window. He isn't here. Yeah, he's probably traveling by freight to avoid being spotted. He couldn't have beaten us here. We rolled too fast. Gonna stake it out and wait? Yeah, our car's out of sight where we left it. He won't spot it coming along the wharf. Come on, let's go inside. like Matt Corbett's the man we're after, all right. Same trademarks here we found on that picker shack at Bullville. Yeah. Knife marks in a circle on the door. Same running bowling holding the lamp. Draw that burlap sack across the window. That'll make it pretty dark in here, Jase. You want it dark when you're throwing a surprise party. Steve. Steve, wake up. this way at this time of night. He's heading for here, all right. Yeah. Let him get all the way inside. And remember, he's got that knife, and he's handy with it. I know. All right, Corbett. Yeah. Never mind that lamp. Watch the knife, Dave. Yeah. Stand clear of the light, Steve. Can you handle him? Stop your struggling, Corbett. You don't stink it. My arm. Ah. You broke my arm. Just wrench your shoulder, Corbett. <sighs> Keep you from throwing that knife for a while. Come on, get up. Better light the lamp now, Steve. It's a good thing you jumped him, Jace. I felt that knife pass in my ear. Look, buried in that wall a good inch. Hey. Rangers. I thought you were a couple of crooks. What's you doing here? Just dropped in to arrest you for the murder of Helen Watson and old Rosie up at Bullville. It'd be nice if you could prove it. I haven't been near Bullville. I think we can prove you were. My marks you left on the door and a few other things. How'd you come back, Freight? Are you kidding? No, I'm serious. You should have rode Pullman. Get your shoes shined on a Pullman. Would have taken that reddish-brown earth off your shoes. Our lab can match that with Bullville. Watch out for that shoulder. Yeah, that's better, Corbett. Want to cuff him, Jace? No. I think he'll come quiet. All right, Corbett. Let's move. Herbert Bud Watson served the required term for his bootlegging activities, and Matt Corbett was tried and convicted of murder. The sentence of the court was carried out on February 20th, 1939, when at Huntsville Penitentiary, Matt Corbett died in the electric chair. And now, here again is the star of our show, Joel McRae, with another interesting story about the Texas Rangers. In the early days of Texas, major disturbances were not infrequent. It was a lusty, brawling, growing territory, and as happens in such a territory, there were days when the streets were not safe for the good citizens. An Easterner, happening into a Texas town at such a time, found shelter in the house of a minister. Everything will be all right soon, he was assured. Later that same afternoon, the minister, who'd been looking out the window, said, Well, friend, the streets are safe now. You may go about your business. The Easterner looked out the window, but all he saw was a lone figure riding casually down the main street on a horse. What makes you think it's safe for me out there now, he asked in bewilderment. The minister pointed to the horseman. Because that feller on the horse is a Texas Ranger, he said. Only folks that aren't safe in this town now are the ones who started the trouble. And when he finds them, they'll wish they'd been peaceable. Good night, folks. See you next week. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the MGM production, Stars in My Crown. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Herb Ellis, Tom Holland, Byron Kane, Tom McKee, and Lillian Byer. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keats. Al Gibney speaking.
Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Thanks for joining us for Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories from the Old West. Reviews are always appreciated. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back soon.